Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, you're very welcome to the Mick Clifford podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, on November the 1st, Patrick Caffrey, with an address at Grove Road, Harles Cross in Dublin, was sentenced to three years in prison for sexually assaulting four nieces over a 12-year period. The court was told that the abuse, which was perpetrated between 1991 and 2003, was committed at Caffrey's home when the victims were aged between 9 and 19. Grace, Siobhan and Fiona, Odomuso and their cousin Linda McDonough were all praised by the sentencing judge Pauline Codd for their dignity and courage in coming forward to give accounts of the impact the abuse had on them. Judge Codd described the conduct of the perpetrator as opportunistic and persistent and it involved a considerable abuse of trust. The sentencing brought to an end a near five-year journey for the victims since they first disclosed the abuse even to each other at Christmas 2016. However, their experience at the hands of the criminal justice system has been confusing and in some ways perhaps even devastating. Grace and Siobhan join me now. Grace, could you tell me how it first came to light about what was perpetrated against you, your two sisters and your cousin? Yeah, it was um, Christmas 2016 and... um so just a bit of background, every Christmas we used to go and um, spend time in 70 Grove Road. And that year, my niece, she was That's around. That's in Harles Cross in Dublin, yeah. In Harles Cross, yeah. Um, my niece, she was around 11, 10 or 11. And that was around the age where, um, you know, it all started with me. And so I... I just kept seeing her and thinking this could be happening to her. He could do this to her. And I wasn't going to be able to live with myself if she had to experience life the way I had to experience life. And so I, um, I just that night made the disclosure to my, um, my sister-in-law. And then the following night, there was something of a family gathering. Yeah, so once I told her, you know, she kind of supported me through it and said, look, you know, we have to tell the rest of them. So she helped me tell my brother and obviously it was a big shock for him and he found it really difficult, but he kind of stood up and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And so he was like, we have to ask the rest of them. We have to tell them what happened and make sure that nothing happened to anyone else. And so that's what we did. He called Siobhan. Uh, yeah. So then he called over to my house and he was crying. Um, and he's, he stood up and he said, um, Grace is after being abused. And um, I was in shock. And uh, then he said, um, and it was Patrick Caffrey. And I just froze kind of and thought and, and what did he do and he said he just mentioned a couple of things and then I just immediately it was like a light bulb moment um and it I just said um he did that to me too and then I guess the next 24 hours I probably just cried and cried and more bits and pieces started to come back to me about him coming into my bedroom at night and stuff. And um, we, the next, yeah, the next little while is a bit blurry for me because I was in so much shock. Um, I guess I I hadn't carried it. I'd repressed it. So with repressed memories, then it was, it all kind of just came crashing down on me. And you were in touch then with your your, your sister, um, Fiona, who's in Chicago. Yeah, so we talked to our mom. Well, my brother, we brought my mom up to the house then and, you know, we had to tell her. So we told her and then obviously again, big shock for her. Um, but she once again was like, OK, got into mom mode and 
started ringing around. So she rang my sister in Chicago and she told her what happened. Um, she told her that Siobhan also had these memories and asked her, did anything happen to her? And she just broke down and said, yeah, he he had tried to do it to her as well. And then you, you had your uh, cousin, Linda, who was living in Galway. And I'm correct that um, your mum, Caffrey's wife, and Linda McDonough's mum, your cousin, were three sisters and they'd been pretty close. And that was the, the, the family dynamic there. Yeah. Yeah, and the night, sorry, just um, the night that we found out um, what had happened, I actually, just something inside me said, you need to ring Linda, you need to ring Linda. So I actually got on the phone and told her what happened. And she just, she just was stunned. And then she was like, oh no, oh no, I thought it was just me. Um, And... um, then it was disclosed that uh, he had done it to her as well. Um, and that she actually had tried to get help when she was younger, when it happened to her. And unfortunately, she didn't get the support that we got. Um, she was met with a whole other barrier of, well, we don't want to ruin that family or... Just that classic Irish brush it under the carpet... Um, you know, let's not talk about it. Let's not fight about it. Let's just pretend it didn't happen. And then, presumably, that had to change. Then, once it became apparent that her three cousins, the three of you, had also been put through the same ordeal. Yeah. Um. When I first made the disclosure, it was more about um just protecting my niece. You know, like once I made the disclosure. Like don't let don't let it happen to her was my 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 vibe, but um as soon as like I found out that it wasn't just me, and that there were four of us, it, it was just like we were hit with a ton of bricks, and I was like this is not going to bury us. So I guess that's the reason why we kind of decided we we're going to go to the guards and. And at the time, Grace, um, as I understand it, you were actually living in Chicago. As as was your, your your other sister, so I mean that made I suppose things a bit more awkward in that sense. You had to be back and forth, and as you say, you went to the guards, and the four of you all gave statements to the guards at that point. Yeah, so I made um, the statement like the twenty seventh of December, I believe. Um, but it was you know it was just then now or never, and I just went and I made my statement. Um, and then I was able to go back to Chicago and be free in in a sense. I mean, I wasn't free because it was it was all out and everybody knew. But, you know, I didn't have the same experience as like Siobhan had to where I didn't have to worry about seeing him or seeing the rest of his family who, um, you know, chose not to believe us. Your family home and Caffrey's family home, like you're both in South Dublin. It, it, yeah, it's we're probably close. about like a 10 minute um, drive. And we're, you know, go to the same shopping centres. Um, yeah, just in very close proximity. Um, just as well, we initially, our families were very, very, very close. Um, and we're quite inter- intertwined. So, um we actually called our aunt and asked her to come up to the house, um, to my brother's house, and we told her what happened, expecting, I guess, that she'd be upset, but that, of course, she's going to s- stick with us. Um, but unfortunately, that's not what happened. Um, she, when we think back, when, when I think back on it anyway, um, she cried a lot. Um, but then her first question was, are you going to the guards? So it wasn't like, are you okay? Mm. I can't believe this has happened. It was, what can I do for you? Yeah. What do you need? It was, yeah, it was, are you going to the guards? And as soon as I had my flashback repressed memories, 
it wasn't even a question of whether we would go to the guards. It was, we were definitely, go, we, we were always going to report it then from that time on. And knowing that as well, that there was so many of us that had been abused by the monster. And I suppose it's worth, worth pointing out. I mentioned it earlier and it was also mentioned in the court that the four of you were nieces of Caffrey. I mean, in the strictest sense, it's your nieces of, of his of his wife. He was married to your, your aunt, but that's just yeah. that, that, that detail of it. Um, okay, and after, it's obviously, and, and this is something I think that a, a lot of women in particular have spoken about their experience in terms of once the legal process starts in relation to particularly historic um, abuse and child abuse, um, your trust into the criminal justice system. Now, as I understand that you're assigned a Garda to be, if not officially a liaison officer, at least unofficially somebody who you can contact about, see how things are progressing in that. Is that what happened in your case? Um, no. So first of all, um, it took, we, we had three different detectives on our case and um, the first girl well, was actually four, if you include the one in in the court. In, no, in Raff Arnhem. Oh yeah, because first we, when we first disclosed, we went to when I made this the, my first statement, I went to Raff Arnhem Guard Station um, because that was the closest one to us. And then we met we met a, a guard there, and she was lovely, and I gave her my statement, and then they kicked it to Rat Mines because that's. The Garda station of where it happened, but you didn't have to make another statement. No, no, no they did just transferred the case. Yeah, and I suppose to be fair, that is um, that is standard procedure that, yeah. it, that yeah. it would take place within the district where where it happened. Yeah, yeah. So we had a lovely um, detective um, there, and she was female, and um, that made a big difference just with the type of abuse and the fact that it was a man and it was someone that you trusted. Um, it was great to have a female to talk through and help us with her statement. But then that all changed. And um, unfortunately, that guard, I had to go and uh, she got a job. She went on maternity leave and then she was changing roles. Um, so we got met with um, another detective um, who was a male. And at the time I did ask because I didn't really feel comfortable with the man at this point. Um especially with historical abuse stuff, really gets into, it kind of takes over and you start to second guess everything that you've ever done in your life. So, um, yeah, it wasn't very easy to um, confide in a man or to think that a man was going to help us. And can I ask you, Siobhan, as you say, it was a male uh, Garda, um, was this Garda in touch with you? Was he contacting you every so often to let you know how things were progressing? Um, no, so because the girls were away, um, there seemed to be some kind of issue with calling America. I don't know. They, they didn't seem to really reach out to the girls that much at all. Um, so they didn't call me either, even though I was in Ireland. But they would call us every now and then and say, um, we need you to sign this or we needed to witness this or we needed to. So it was just more if they needed something from us or if the case before the case um, was heard in court. There was a few different um, hearings um, where um, the issues of the case were just kind of heard in the main court, but it wasn't the actual court date. Yeah, that's something that happens. Is it's, it's, yeah. it's called up and it, it's, it's called for, up for, for mention. Yeah. yeah, so it was called up for mention a lot of times. So when it was being called for mention, we'd get a call say it's been called for mention. We can attend if we want. Um, and at that point, I wasn't strong enough to go and. There was no real point in going because it was going to be very, very busy. But my husband or my brother or my sister-in-law, somebody went as a representative just to let us know how how it went or how they got on. So, But there was no other, there was nobody from any of the state services or agency that liaised with you in any way in relation to um, what you were going through at that stage? No, definitely not for me. Um, being in Chicago, the only time I ever heard from them was via email and was if they needed something. Um, but there was never, if I wanted an update, even like when, when it was called for mention, um, 
we didn't, as far as I remember, get any kind of, it's called for mention, information. Uh, I would get all that information from my brother or from whoever had gone um, on the day. There was never um, like a touch base. This is what happened, X, Y, Z. And the scheduled date for the trial was in June of this year. And by that stage, you had returned, Grace, from the States. You moved, you, you, you moved back here. But one thing that just struck me when I heard that, June of this year would have been four and a half years after you made your statements and first disclosed. Were you, were you given any reason why it was so protracted? Yeah, Siobhan can probably talk a little bit more about that, just in that we were, it was actually scheduled before the, before June, it was scheduled for April. Yeah, it was scheduled for April the, this year. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's still, you know, it's still a long yeah. time from when you. Yeah, from when we disclosed. So uh, it was mental torture, to be honest. It was, it was, it meant that we could never move on from the disclosure piece because we were just left waiting, going to therapy ourselves you know sourcing therapy like no supports given by the state or the guards suggesting go here or go there F- like finding our own way through the waiting part we weren't allowed to talk about it yeah we couldn't talk like we're sisters and we couldn't talk to each other we couldn't talk to our cousin you know we we were just kind of left like on our own with this massive thing weighing over us so it's it was just like a wait all the time like all this time waiting and, and do you mind me, were you actually told, well, normally this would maybe take place maybe after two years or whatever, after yeah. the initial issue? And I'm just curious yeah, about that no, because it seems to be a long time. To, yeah, I, yeah, I think COVID um, well, that could have been, that had could have some effect. Or, am I right? Um, look, I, I, I think they mentioned that COVID might have, but to be honest, I think um, I attended the Rape Crisis Centre for therapy. And in their experience, it was at least f- like four years would be doing well, and that like it it's it it is longer. It can be longer. Yeah, it's a long it's a long time to um to be waiting for some yeah. kind of resolution. And then you come to June, and sorry, uh, just before yeah. um it was so before the date in June, it was due to start in April, um the twenty sixth of April, and we were to myself and Grace went in to meet. Well, um, we had to actually call the guard who was in charge of 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 our person or whatever um to say like like i'd never met the, the, barrister, the barrister or the like didn't know That'd anything be the prosecuting barrister yeah, yeah didn't know anything about it you know i'd like i said like you said i i moved back from the states um that december um and this was the following april and i haven't i i didn't know anyone i didn't know what was like i didn't it just was unaware and so we had to call and say, can we meet the, the people? Like, can we talk, can we understand the process? Can they tell us what we need to do? Can they tell us, like, you know, obviously we knew they couldn't ta- talk to us about our evidence. But, you know, there's other things that we would need to know that nobody seemed to want to tell us. So they arranged, it was supposed to start on the 26th and they arranged for us to go and meet them the uh, week before. Yeah, the 22nd we went in um, to meet them and get a face the name um just so we know who's representing us um and um we went in and this at this stage it was the covid had had hit obviously and um i had been talking to the guard previous to going in here and he had said that um our sister fiona we needed her for the trial in order for the trial to start and that she would be exempt from quarantining because she was going to be a witness, a witness in mm. a court case. Therefore, she wouldn't have to do the two weeks hotel quarantining. And and he had said he had found, you know, it was clear to him that she wouldn't have to do that. So we arrive on the 22nd and we have to go into the central criminal criminal court, which is really daunting. Um, just the whole building is just, it's really, it's a really hard place to be. And um, we went in and we were met with our barrister and our solicitor and uh, we were told um so you all know this is not going going you know that we're not going ahead with the uh case at the moment and and Fiona was over with you at this thing no she wasn't she there yet. Right, yeah. right. 
and we were like, no, no. And we were told by the guard that um, she would be exempt exempt because she was going to be a witness in a trial. So and they were like, oh, no, we've decided not to go ahead. Um, Had Fiona started making arrangements? Yeah, so she had taken time off work and organised her kids. Um, And Linda as well. Linda was um, organising her her boys as well. Um, And, uh, yeah, we were just told it's not happening. And, again, we cried. We were were ready. Like, it's so, it took us so much. You build up, um, it's almost like a, a fireball in your stomach. Like, you build up all this strength to, like, get ready to go and do this horrible thing that you have to do and then with like a couple of words it's like oh we've decided we're not going ahead um so yeah at this point as well um the guard that we did have unfortunately so this is sorry this is our third so yeah this is our third guard sorry our second guard he got covid long covid and he was he was really good and really um he really he used to say he'd um, dot his I's and cross his T's and he really, he really did. He he worked really hard in the case. Um, but then our third detective then, um, he didn't even show up for court. Like he sent in another guard. So that day that we were going in to meet everyone, we were landed with this other guy and we'd never seen him. We didn't even know what he looked like. We'd never spoken to him. And he said, um, my colleague such and such will be there on the day to greet you, to meet mm-hmm. you. And you'd never met him before. Never met him before. And like, obviously, this is quite a personal, traumatic, triggering um, every time we had to go to the court. So I was, I was, I was angry. I was really, really, really angry. And I couldn't believe that they would have so much. It just like we weren't considered, like nobody cared. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a. Uh- common complaint in our system about the role of the victim and how they fit into it. Um, But, you know, there have been claims that more cognizance has been given to the victims and their status. Just, I mean, for the sake of complete accuracy, you mentioned, you said your barrister and solicitor. I mean, just technically they're the The state's state's. barrister and solicitor. But there is provision for them to liaise with the victims, quite obviously. Um, Yeah, so they actually don't. This is what I find really strange as well. So when we met them, they'd say stuff like, you know, if you have any questions, get in touch. And I remember just thinking, well, how do I get in touch? Like, they haven't given me their number. (laughs) Um, or an email address. So then I go to the guard. Um, and I, I was was questioning this then. It'd be, it'd be only after I left because I said, no, they did say get in touch. Um, but it's actually only the guard can get in touch. So the victims have absolutely no contact with the barrister um, or the solicitor from the state. So right. you can't ask a question to the barrister, even if it's like a silly small question that you you know, something you really wanted to ask. You can't do that unless you go to the guard. The guard could be like on a day off or so you could be waiting like a week before you get a reply or the guard just might not be um, invested. That's just how we felt like the guard that we ended up with. He just wasn't, wasn't, had no empathy. He had no compassion. But it's more and, than and to that. Be fair, like, to be fair, as you say, your experience with previous Gardy was very yeah. positive. So what, what you're talking about really is there's an element of potluck to it in that you could be lucky that you have a compassionate and conscientious guard as you did. I think you yeah, said the first the two, but then unfortunately yeah. that didn't apply that just to, changed, to, to the term. Yeah. Can I just bring you forward? As you say, that, that didn't happen in April. Then you have a scenario you're brought in in June. And again, as you say, you build up to the day you're brought in and the first day you're in there ready for it to start it doesn't start there, there there's some hold up the second day it doesn't start again you're thinking it's going to start and that night then you got some news about it was going to start on the third day but then you got some news on on the night of the second day you'd been in there about what was going to happen yeah so court. sorry just to um go back just a tiny bit just before that happened so after that where where the the case was to go on and then it didn't go ahead um i actually got um a phone call then from the guard to say that the dpp 
were going to come and have a meeting. And I actually had a meeting myself and my mom and my husband went in and we had a meeting with a senior member of the DPP to explain why the case wasn't going ahead um, and why they decided to put things on pause. Well, that was so positive. The D- yeah, yeah, so the DPP actually did acknowledge and they were they were actually, they were really, this lady was really, this lady again, and she was really sympathetic. She understood how difficult it was. But again, the same guard was in the meeting as well and he had no empathy at all. He didn't, wasn't apologetic for what his part in making things more difficult than they already were. And then just as well, during that time in communication with the guard, we were told, um, I was told on the, on the phone, well, actually I said, you know, it's, it's, it's our case. Like what, you know, and I was told, um, it's not your case. You're just a witness for the state, which in technical terms is totally true. But without us and without our courage and without our strength and without our our statements, there would be no case and there would still be a paedophile out there. So and that's that was really that, hard to hear. The, the, you know? the judge ultimately did acknowledge that your, yeah. your, your, your courage and dignity in coming forward. Yeah, so um, sorry then, Grace. Uh, yeah, sorry. June, sorry. June, uh, as I say, uh, uh, two, two days you're down there build up expected it doesn't yeah, go ahead then it was horrible like every day and it was it got to the point where every day going in there we i was expecting it's not going to go ahead today so we, i don't even know why i'm going in here but you know i went in anyway um there's always that little bit of hope and every day that was kicked back it was just another kick in the face to be honest and that night then of the second day oh they just kept coming up with excuses as to why it couldn't go ahead there wasn't enough judges then his counsel had some issue didn't get some information in time and just uh delay 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 that's what appeared you know a delay tactic you know um uh, but yeah no on the second day then we did get a call from the guard to say that um he was going to enter in a guilty plea the following morning that the trial wasn't going to go ahead and that he was going to plead guilty. And just to clarify that so people will understand, at this stage you're talking about for four and a half years, well, sorry, certainly since the charges were pressed initially and he entered a not guilty plea, but you were and, and your sister and cousin were under the impression that he was denying the charges, that you would have to give evidence and everything that was involved in that. And then at the very last minute, you're told he's changed his plea. Yeah. Um, he had, as far as we were aware, just like you said, uh, denied everything from the beginning, except for he had made some s- silly story saying that he had had some kind of type of an affair with our older um, cousin, um, which... Anyway, that's uh, it, it, it was it was ridiculous um, up until that very last minute. And it was only that day, the second day that we went in, the judge who was hearing it was like, you know, she was uh, we weren't there, but we heard um, that she was almost as annoyed as as we were like, this is ridiculous. Like we're, this, this, I believe she said this case is going to trial tomorrow. We are picking a jury in the morning. Um, and we are going to trial tomorrow. And it was only after she said that, that it obviously then his legal counsel was like. And how did you feel when you heard about his change of plea? Um, again, cried. We're kind of, in a way you're relieved. Well, I was relieved. But and then in a way I was angry because we didn't get to stand up and share you know, tell our story and have a jury believe us. Yeah, as difficult as that may have been and as daunting as that may have been to have to convince 12 people, 12 strangers of your truth, there was something almost cathartic about finally being able to speak your truth. And then that was taken away from us. It was taken away. So on the following day, then he pleads um, guilty. And therefore, it's it's just a question of sentencing is the next issue. Yeah, so he pled. There was 22 counts in total. And on that that, 
Thursday, I believe it was, he pled guilty to four counts. So one count for each. One yeah, one it's, a, it's a system. It's a sample thing. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't think that. it impacts yeah. on, on the severity of it, but that's. And also just on that, just when we were doing uh, at that time when he was pleading guilty, like the court was crazy. There was people, there was barristers, there was people kind of shouting over, you know, it was a very, very busy courtroom. It wasn't quiet and it wasn't in camera. Yeah, it, wasn't, it wasn't comfortable for us. Like we were, it was like being in someone's office and, it, you know, it was just like, it was all go. And, and the four could, of you were there. The we were sitting at the back of the courtroom, courtroom, just kind of squeezed in. And then, um, you could barely hear your name being called, and then you were kind of, did what did they say? You, you know, like we couldn't really he, even barely hear like what was going on. It's kind of it just it just is so unvictim friendly. It's 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 just uh, it's just not good enough. It's just not good enough. It's, it certainly sounds yeah, it doesn't sound very suitable for considering what you'd been through in the length of time. Um, and then we're talking about the sentencing, which is put back a couple of months. And of course, for the sentencing, um, the, the normal uh, scenario is that the victims are asked for a victim impact statement. And uh, as I understand it, all four of you wanted to um, to give a statement. Did you have any help in preparing the statements? No. Um, they, the guards dropped up... Um, brown envelopes with a standard statement, a victim impact statement, the same statement that you would use if somebody stole your bike. Um, or a template, like. Yeah, just like a template and just gave it to us. Um, was like, okay, we'll we'll pick it up or you can drop it off, whatever. Like there was no, there was no big conversation um, for us. They actually even gave me Siobhan's to, to hand it over to her, which no issue. Like she's always around and it, it wasn't um, an issue, but like also what if she had questions and, you know, stuff like that. Um, but no, and only for um, Naomi, who is our, um, she's our victim advocacy. With one uh, in four. With one in yeah. four. And genuinely hand on heart. Without her, we... I think the four of us agree that there's no way we would have made it. No. And and just to point out, you, you sourced um, Naomi from one in four yeah. independently. This wasn't referenced through the state or anything. Yeah, yeah. We sourced her. Um, I, as I said, I had attended the Rape Crisis Centre, who were also amazing. Um, and uh, they had mentioned one in four, so myself and Linda, we were here. So we um, organised to um, liaise with someone from one and four and she acted as she played so many roles she was our therapist she was our legal counsel like she turned it into layman's terms and we didn't understand things she was um, she played she did things that like the the guards should have done well in my opinion she went out of her way she, she, I'd never been in a courtroom before. I didn't know what a courtroom looked like. I didn't know, you know, where, you know, I'm thinking movies. I'm thinking there's going to be a, a table on this side and a table on that side. And we'd be on, you know, this side, he'd be on that side. And that's not the case. And only for Naomi organized to have us go into an empty courtroom and literally walked us. You sit here. You get up when they call your name. You walk around this way. You walk up this ramp. She showed us how to angle our chairs so that, um, you know, our peripheral vision wouldn't be able to, um, see him and, uh, to where to look. Talk to us about drinking water, which thank God she talked to us about that because every time I got up there, it was like water. I, I, I suppose. Again, just trying to not not lay blame at one door or anything, there would be a case to be made that that wouldn't necessarily be the guard's job and that perhaps it should be a role for uh, an associated agency or a state agency, perhaps, because as you say, you, you were fortunate enough to source somebody from one for that wouldn't necessarily be the case for everybody yeah. in, 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 in your position. Yeah. There was one other element to the victim impact statement. Am I correct that your sister... um 
flew home again from Chicago to sign the statement. Yeah, so, you know, obviously there was big issues with um, her flying home. They they were saying that, you know, it wasn't that she would have to make her own way home in order to give her statement. And, and that they could offer um, the video link for her. Yeah, that they, they that <laughs> oh, so um, she could do it by video link if she wanted to. Or she could have someone else read it, but that if she wanted to come home, she would have to make her own way. Um, and, you know, she was, I wish she was here to, to talk better herself. But yeah. she, she, she flew in one morning. Yeah. So she was stunned and she was told that she was going to have to pay um, for a flight, which she didn't know that she, she hadn't budgeted for and she wasn't ready to, she'd have to leave her children again and um, come back. Um, so she was told this time you can do it by video link, whereas before it was about a video link is not really done in Ireland. It's we're not really up to speed with that yet. So you couldn't she couldn't do it for her evidence for court, but she was being offered it, but not really offered it, kind of just told, oh, you can do that. Um, maybe you can do that. Um, so in the end, she wrote we, she wrote a letter, uh, an email, sorry, to the guard um, expressing her anger like your victim impact statement is new evidence. It's, it's, she's entitled to be there. Like she's, she's gone through a horrendous ordeal and she had, she should have been entitled without having to like go begging for it. Um, and this obviously as we're sisters, this stress was all out as Grace, I think said before, if you hurt one of us, he hurt us all. So, um, that she, was arrived, really- she arrived in and she went straight to the Garda station. Yeah, so yeah. she eventually, they did pay for her to come back. And um, for some reason, they had this thing where we had to go and s- we emailed them off our victim impact statements because they need to send it to the defense. The defense needs to look over it and make sure there's nothing in it that they disagree with. Um, and then they needed us to come down and sign them. So myself and Siobhan went down on the Sunday and signed these pieces of paper um and then Fiona flew in the following day so the Monday morning so seven eight hour flight from Chicago got in and had to go straight to Ratmines Garda station um to sign this piece of paper her her victim impact statement um that was arranged with the guard so he knew she was coming on the flight straight to the station to sign because it had to get in before mm. a certain time. So the defense had time so that they wouldn't have another reason to kick it back. We didn't get it on time. Um, so she went there and she was left standing outside for over an hour waiting. Yeah. Um, after a seven hour flight from Chicago, which is to me ridiculous. Um, but anyway, eventually she got in and then they, they couldn't even print it off for her when she got there after waiting for an hour when you already know someone's coming, you would think it would already be printed off. Um, or at least, you know, some kind of uh, message to say, we can't print this. Can you do something different? Or we can't print this. Can you, you know, send it to us in another format, whatever it may be. But there was none of that. And she wasted, you know, a lot of time where she could have been, you know, resting after a flight and getting her getting herself together. Now she was standing outside in the cold in Ratmines Garda Station. And then we come forward to the sentencing hearing. And um, as I understand it, the the, the, the normal procedure here is that um, one of the investigating Gardaí go into the witness box and read out the facts of the case. And this is particularly important when there hasn't been a trial, but it's done in any event, um, always. But... And there, and after the court hears the facts, then the victim impact statements are heard. But that didn't happen in your case. No, we got there, and um, his barrister stood up, and he said that he had a prior engagement, and that he wouldn't be able to, he wouldn't be available after two o'clock, and if we could do the victim impact statements there and then. And then hear the evidence at another at a later stage, and that's what happened. Yeah, it just strikes me as um, particularly in terms of the role of the victim impact statement that um, for it to be fully appreciated, I would have thought 
notwithstanding a judge's ability to go away and read elements um, independently, but I would have thought for it to be fully appreciated in an open court that you would hear the facts and therefore you can relate the uh, victim and and, uh, how the victim has been impacted as a result of what the victim was put through as per the facts. As per the facts, exactly. Like, once again, there was no consideration given to to us, you know, in my brain, like when you say that, that's what that makes sense. So for me sitting there, um, it makes sense to hear the evidence, what happened to, to, to know the story. And then for me to tell you how this story impacted my life versus me telling you how this impacted my life when you don't even know what the this is. It does. It does seem to be an issue there. I would have thought, but that that's the way it was done. And then finally, on the first of November, Caffrey is sentenced. Um, it was noted by the judge in the sentencing that, in terms of the time period that it was involved, the maximum sentence at that time was five years. And taking everything into account, the judge passed on a sentence of four years with twelve months suspended which meant effectively uh, three years in prison. How did you feel about that? Uh, Robbed, um, angry, um, not cared for, um, just doesn't really matter that your lives will never be the same. Um, He'll be out in three years, which will... And he possibly could be out sooner for good behaviour, which will make him 57, 55 now. And that's still a hell of a life to still have after the fact. Um, So, yeah, it's just not good enough. I have this, um, you know, I keep thinking about it because, uh, to be honest, going in there, you know, some people were talking and saying, oh, you know, he might, might walk out of there. You know, he could get... You know, I've heard stories of of other um, monsters getting much less of a sentence. So I kind of I didn't plan for any sentence. I didn't plan for it to be a high sentence or it to be a low sentence. Uh, I just didn't plan for it. And initially, when I heard it, uh, I thought, oh, the maximum is five years. So that's that's pretty on the high end of a sentence. And then you say it out loud and the maximum is five years, which just is, it, it, it's mind-blowing when, when, you, when you say it out loud. Like, uh, and the whole thing of like, oh, we have to try, we have, they try it with the laws of the time. Like, that's ridiculous to me. Like, why should we be punished for the flawed laws of the past? Like, it, just because it was five years at that time doesn't mean that five years is the correct sentence to give someone who destroys not only one life not only two but four individuals and then the rest of the people who come along with them there was a lot of lives destroyed because of this monster I suppose the other thing overall in terms of your full experience of how um, you were put through the system, are there any specific things that impacted in such a way that you would feel urgently need to be looked at in terms of some kind of change or reform? Um, yeah, so just before I answer that question, um, just like it was very, very striking that he put in a late guilty plea and then he has to see a probation officer and in his probation report he specifically doesn't have any remorse, hasn't accepted what he's done or the lives that he's destroyed. Not only does he not have any remorse, but he's still saying he didn't do anything to us. He's still denying it to his probation officer. So he's pled guilty in a court of law, but he's yeah. still saying to his probation officer, I didn't do that. Yeah. So like we've massive issue with that. And then because he got credit for the guilty plea, yes, and he did get mm. credit, and he was rewarded, and they are rewarded because at the end of the day, it's coming down to they saved the state money, 
They said to us at the time that they saved us from going through a trial. We've gone through that trial a million times in our heads. We've we've cross-examined ourselves and each other. Like it's 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 beyond comprehensible that they are given credit for a late guilty plea. Fair enough if at the time they're arrested and they put their hands up and they own up to what they've done. Absolutely give them a little bit of credit for not dragging it on any longer for victims. But being given credit for a late guilty plea the day the trial is about to start, it's just, it's 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 uncomprehensible. And it's not okay and it needs to be changed. And is there any other aspects to the system that you think should be addressed? Absolutely. The fact that there is no um, sex offend, public sex offender list. So in the States, um, I can go online and I can, specifically at Halloween, I know a lot of people do this. Um, I can see where there are people who are on the sex offenders list in my neighborhood. And I know not to send my child near there. I know um, not, you know, to avoid it. Um, you can't do that here. The, the the there's no public access to the sex offenders. I list. think there is some controversy over that, and and and, and there b- both sides are put forward about that. But yeah, but it it, it is. Um, it yeah, is well, I guess it was it was pointed out by the judge in the that that was part of the conditions. It doesn't really feel like another element of a condition if it's just the guards that are monitoring. So no, it's not in the public's interest. Like we can't find out where they are or if they're near. And then it's, it said that they're, he's not allowed access. He's not allowed any unsupervised access with children. Who's monitoring that? Like, like who's going in to, to check on this? Like the, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's soul destroying the system the fact that we've no guard liaison officer, no no support. Again, we had the support from one and four. Without her, we we wouldn't have known. We wouldn't know what was going on. Like she she was she was invaluable. But there should be a Naomi with the cape for everybody. But it should be by the state, funded by the state, and given to us by the state. Grace, your final thoughts on that. Um, I think Siobhan has spoken for me. Um, I I agree with absolutely everything she said. Um, The sex offenders list, um, the, there's just the system, the, the fact that the the way the trial works, the connection with, um, with victims, the support we have or lack thereof. Can I ask you one thing? Do you feel, notwithstanding all of the faults and quite obviously the satisfaction with the outcome in terms of how the perpetrator was treated, very understandably, but notwithstanding all that, now that at least the legal element is over, do you feel any modicum of closure about the whole thing? The only, and I'm just speaking for myself here, the only element of closure that I feel is the fact that I don't have to go down there anymore. I don't have to go to this this central criminal court every couple of weeks for a few days on it, you know, and I don't have to go down to the guard station and sign off on something or other. Um, that's kind of the only sense of closure for me. Um, so for me then as well, I, I um, obviously it's great not to have to go there, but again, um, I feel this sense of um, injustice. Um, I feel that... um, So at the moment in Ireland, the laws are the victim has to waive their anonymity in order for the sex offender or a paedophile to be named. So for us, obviously, we want him to be named and we want it to be known to the wider world that he is a sex offender uh, and a paedophile and we want that to be known but in order for us to do that we have to be named as well and with that um, 
we've seen already, we haven't even spoken to anyone. It was just the court reporter reporter had gone out and already there's been some backlash for us with other family members who have said, that's not fair for you to have named him because that in turn names his family. But his family also decided to support um, him, a sex offender, and it's not for us to be blamed for this. There's only one person that needs that can be blamed for this, and that's Patrick Caffrey from Seventy Grove Road, who abused his four nieces. That he's the only person that can be held accountable. And even though the three years isn't enough, it's in my mind the sex offender thing, the spreading uh, spreading our story, sharing what happened to us in some way is a sentence in itself for him. Yeah. We, he has this for the rest of his life. That's exactly it. And we we have gotten a ton of support. We've gotten, you know, just random people reaching out to us and sharing their story with us. And, you know, I have been able to help someone to talk them through the process and, and to talk them through, you know, what to do, how to get support and what not to do and kind of what to expect. Yeah, I think that the 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 main thing, the main reason we we waived was to encourage people who are in our situation, who've lived our lives to come forward no matter how long it's been. It's still a little bit of a weight lifted to be able to share your story and even if there are family members which they're which we've heard from other victims that there are family members who just can't face the truth. Because if they face the truth, then they have to admit their own part in that truth, that they have to, you know, they have to admit their own guilt. They have to, you know, look at themselves in the mirror. Yeah, but I just, I suppose, just for a bit of clarity, I don't think anybody's suggesting that anybody was aware that this was going on. And no, no, God, no, no, no God, no. no. But you no. know that. Yeah, that, I know like, what you're saying. Yeah, it's not, it's not. Could I have done something yeah. or did, did I, you know, they don't have, they, they can't do it. Mm. So uh, that's, that's just one thing that I wanted to, to mention is that there may be people who don't believe you because they can't, they won't allow themselves to believe you. Um, but I just, you know, I, I, I let them, I, I don't let that affect me. I, I know my truth and the greater world now knows my truth too. And, and I can finally talk about it. Grace and Siobhan, thank you very much for talking uh, to me today. And um, I'm sure parts of that were very difficult to do. And I think um, it's a great thing that you're willing to put it out there in order that it may uh, lead to some change and hopefully um, help others who found themselves in your situation. Thank you very much. That's it for today, folks. Uh, I'd also like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you for listening and we'll catch up with you again soon. Thank you.